Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipper. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Welcome to Week to Week, the political roundtable program from the Commonwealth Club of California from Monday, November 30th, 2015. This was the week in which Senator Ted Cruz entertained a Texas church audience with his spot-on imitation of a scene from his favorite movie, (laughs) The Princess Bride. I kid you not, watch it on YouTube. It's, I don't know, you might change your mind about him. (laughs) So thanks for joining us here in San Francisco today. I'm John Zipperer, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. On today's program, we're going to talk about Donald Trump and the GOP, of course. Uh, but also the Democratic race, the political fight over Syrian refugees, the status of marijuana legalization in California, and a mix of other important political news. Of course, the Commonwealth Club of California is home to a lot of views across the the political spectrum, so uh, any views expressed up here are those of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Now let's meet our panelists for today. Let's start at the far end of the stage with Carson Bruno. He's a research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. He's on Twitter at Carson J.F. Bruno. Next to him is making uh, his week-to-week debut, Dr. James Taylor, Director of African American Studies and Professor of Political Science at the Department of Politics at the University of San Francisco. And next to me is Carla Marinucci. She's a reporter at, and she produces the uh, Daily Political California Playbook. Recently, uh, formerly, you probably know her from the San Francisco Chronicle. She's now at the Politico.com. You can follow her on Twitter at C. Marinucci. You can also subscribe to her daily Politico California news uh, letter, which I heartily recommend. And it's not just because she's mentioned us in it. <laughs> so please use the question cards that are spread throughout the room to write down and submit any questions. I will try to answer, as, or excuse me, I will try to ask as many as we can during this program. Now, on to our roundtable. And I want to kick off our discussion about Donald Trump, frankly, by hogging the microphone for just a bit. And I hope you'll forgive me. So Donald Trump has been at the center of this controversy over his claims to have seen videos of people celebrating the the fall of the Twin Towers after 9-11, or in 9-11. A friend of mine uh, works at the Associated Press uh, in New York. Her name's A.J. Connolly, and she recently wrote, a day or two after 9-11, we started getting calls in the newsroom about the workers at a store called National Wholesale Liquidators, where many of the workers were Indian immigrants. This is in New Jersey. They were supposedly celebrating the death and destruction there in their parking lot. At first, I ignored them because it seemed implausible, but they kept coming in, the calls, so I sent a reporter. The reporter called me from the lot where he saw nothing but parked cars. The next moment, another witness called in and insisted she was there watching the celebration. When I told her we had a reporter on the scene who would like to interview her, she hung up confirming my assumption that she was not there and was witnessing nothing. A week or so later, and this is to me where the story really gets disgusting, a week or so later, the store owners, who were Holocaust survivors, asked to meet with the editors to express their dismay at these rumors. Not long after that, the store closed. The business was so badly damaged from the false accusations, it could not recover. It has been empty ever since. Rumors like this were rampant back then, Everyone that we chased down was false. If they were true, it would have been a huge story, the kind for which we reporters would, quote, sell our grandmas, unquote. (laughs) She concludes, there is no footage and no archive reports because it didn't happen, unquote. So panel, politics is a rough and tumble place where truth is usually the victim of uh, attention seeking, but what do you make of the past couple weeks for Donald Trump? I mean, it is, Epic. 
Let's start with, yeah, go, let me start with you, Carla, I mean. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I'm from the East Coast, we're in Italian, so the, the Teflon Don we knew as Don Gotti, but no, it's, it's Donald Trump. I mean, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to watch. And I think, I have to say, I think the media, we, we're part of the problem. It's only, I only saw this last weekend, Chuck Todd finally go after Donald Trump and really try to take him down and say, you gotta be kidding, I mean, yelling at him on Meet the Press, saying, you just can't say these things, you're running for president. Uh, he, he hasn't gotten that kind of challenge. Uh, it, you know, there's plenty of stuff that's out on the internet all the time, and people believe it. Uh, the question is, what's true and what's not? And he's been allowed to say stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just think it's this angry voter uh, out there, and uh, they, they, they are going to go with him no matter what. He says, it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter yeah, at this point. I think, you I think that's an important point. It's, it's, I think it is partial that he hasn't been challenged, both by the other candidates on the stage at the debates or also I mean, just on the campaign trail and by the reporters uh, covering the race. But also, it's that it plays well with the, the base that he is so far attracting. It's a populist, nativist base that uh, is ready to hear these sort of things, whether they're true or not. And for them, they don't really care if they're true or not. Uh, they just want someone to finally be talking about them because they think that sort of stuff is happening in this country. Yeah, I think one of the low, 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 low moments over the past couple of weeks would be where Kasich recently presented this footage or this uh, ad that invokes uh, Max Neomola's uh, comments about uh, you know, they came for the Jews, they came for the gypsies, they came for the union workers. I said nothing in all of these cases, and then they came for me. I mean, the fact that Kasich, Governor Kasich would use such a, a language uh, to mm -hmm. invoke the implications of fascism as it related to Donald Trump, um, and others are beginning to throw this F word around in our politics, is not something to be taken lightly. This is a serious moment, the things that he's sort of suggesting in terms of surveilling certain populations of the community. And, and, and what you're talking about there is, is he's, you know, he's talked approvingly of uh, having national yeah, databases on yeah, all, first yeah. it was on, I think, all Muslims in yeah. the United, country, United States, then it was on Syrian refugees yeah. specifically, not aware that we already have a database on all refugees. That's what ICE does. Yeah. Um, and so this was done before the, the polling, I think, that shows the recent bump that, that Trump enjoys okay. uh, as a result of these, these attacks. But I think if you look at this, the next round of polling, I imagine, is going to show some decline in, 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 in Trump's appeal because all of this, these recent, um, for lack of a better word, mishaps that he's uh, been engaged in, I think, are going to have a cumulative effect of, of, of impacting him negatively soon. I'm not Carla? so sure. I'm not so sure these these polls are going to go down. We I, everyone's been saying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, they did. No, they did over the past month and a half. Donald Trump line and Ben Carson mm -hmm. went up. Donald Trump in the internal metrics, everything was stagnant. And then you had these these attacks that he clearly, according to all of the research, benefited from most. Mm -hmm. But up to that point, Donald Trump was was sort of sailing with nowhere to go, and Carson was on his way up. I think, I think this artificial, this bump that Donald Trump has, we'll see some of these establishment candidates to begin to move up into double digits. Ted Cruz is already beginning to do that. It's, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's what a lot of people are saying is this, where this is gonna go. That there's three paths here for the, mm -hmm. to the Republican nomination that you have sort of the angry blue-collar white voter that's with Donald Trump at this point. You have, on the other side, the evangelical uh, voters who look like they're going with Ted Cruz. And then down the middle, or such as center-right, is, yeah. is Marco Rubio. Uh, and, and how this is going to play out, I think, is going to be fascinating. But, you know, remember, Trump started out... It was the Mexicans who were yeah, his yeah. target. That, you know, <laughs> then, then well, now he's... Was women first? Well, you know, he's been all over. But, you know, he started out with the Mexicans, and now it's the Muslims. I mean, and it's just like, it, it's immigration, it's free trade, it's, it's fear. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, and, and, you know, these polls are showing it, who, are, who are the supporters. 44% are non-college educated Republicans. Yeah. I mean... Uh, and and it, that's going to, it's interesting. And, and this is a problem for Trump and for the Republican Party. This is not a reliable group to hinge one's political campaign on. <laughs> they, they will not show up in the polls. Uh, I think they gave Bill Clinton a victory in 96. We called it the election of the Corvair moms. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I think there's a great deal of anxiety amongst this population, rightfully so. I think this recent report that came out of Princeton University that showed the mortality rates yeah. of the white working class who are poor 
and working class um, in the Midwest and elsewhere, and not because of natural causes, but because of alcohol and drug abuse amongst middle-aged middle white Americans, they are having unexpected, according to Princeton University, mortality rates. So this is a whole new announcement in the last two weeks that we have a new crisis on our hands of middle-aged, blue-collar, uh, uh, white mortality rates. And nobody predicted this. And this adds to the anxiety. So I think the pitch of the, few, of the, of the anxiety um, add to that the, the problem of immigration or the challenge of immigration, add to that the browning of America in general mm -hmm. with, the, with the, the ongoing doubling of certain populations, mm -hmm. the, the increase of African Americans from 45 million to 75 million in the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. A whole country is going to 400 million people in the next 40 years. Yeah. 40 years, not 80. <laughs> that means some of us in this room will still be alive probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, my point is, you see how soon this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about tra yeah. powerful transformations of our demographic realities, and I think this is all a part of that reality, that, can't, that fallout. It's too bad, I think, that political science is one of the few sciences where you can't do controlled experiments, right. because <laughs> uh, this race in particular would be fascinating to look at a bunch of different counterfactuals. Yeah. What if there weren't 14 or 15 candidates right. in it? What if you know Jeb Bush had somehow become a better candidate? Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of what ifs because when you look at it, yeah, Trump's leading by a good measure, but he's still only in the yeah. 20 to 30 yeah. percent range, yeah. and so it's that's saying you know 70 to 80 percent of Republicans yeah. don't like him yeah. and don't you, want you, him to you be. You know, their I think one of the fascinating things is, is how skillful he is at playing the media. At this, this whole marketing thing that he's done his whole life, yeah. it just play every day. He's got another headline going. Mm -hmm. Today, it's he wants CNN to give him $5 million <laughs> to show up in the next debate because his ratings are so great. It's I, like they, they, that, they, they, that he won't show up unless they give $5 million to I, I love to that. He could be the first for-profit campaign. <laughs> <laughs> then, then it was the meeting with the uh, black ministers. Another, yeah, another one, which, you know, the, who... The, the meeting, <laughs> we're not sure actually happened. We're not sure yet today. They met, <laughs> Explain this one to me, because... <laughs> half the ministers in the room met, the other half in the room didn't meet. Half endorsed him, the other half didn't endorse him. That really happened today. <laughs> I, he's just been, but the, the fact is, look, in the, the Democrats are still going to be worried because in the head-to-head -head polls, which I checked today, mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton is only, uh, uh, is, is behind when it was with Marco Rubio and with Ben Carson. Uh, and she's within margin of error with every other candidate. Okay. So that that is, I'm sorry, that is yeah. where you have to kind of question the polls if they're saying, yeah, yeah. all due respect to Dr. Carson, who, who's yeah. a brilliant <laughs> surgeon. No, he's <laughs> not the Hillary Clinton in a head-to-head matchup. I mean, there might not be a single state in the union where that, where, where, you know, when it really came down to people getting into the booth, I mean, I did, that, that's... Yeah, I think, that I think we would all agree. Test. I think Ben Carson has seen the, the, yeah. the height of the I predicted, game. I mean, Herman Cain was dead by December 3rd in 2011. Yeah. Uh, I had predicted about three weeks ago on television here in San Francisco <laughs> that uh, this guy, Blaine Carson, will be going by the first week of December. I think for all intents and purposes, his campaign is over. The next few months will, well, be, and, will be fascinating yeah, to let, watch. And let's get into that. So the next, the, we were talking about this before the program. So I, the Iowa caucus is in at the very beginning of uh, February. February, right. Soon thereafter is the New Hampshire primary, straw poll, yes, yes. swim meet, whatever they're gonna do. Um, <laughs> And then South Carolina. Yeah, South and, Carolina, and, and, Super Tuesday. Okay, and James, you, you said you made a prediction on, on so we, we want you to predict here. <laughs> Name a couple Republicans who will drop out after Iowa or New Hampshire. All of the single-digit people, I, and I hate to say that because I really do want Kasich to, to show better. I think he would be a, a really formidable candidate as if a governor get, of yeah. Ohio with the Electoral College votes. I think he has insider history, but he's had a local practical experience in, in, in Illinois, I mean, in uh, Ohio, but I don't think he has a chance. I, I wish he did. Yeah. Um, I think all of the single digit people should just, will just, I mean, as we saw Bobby Jindal recently begin to Because the money the will dry side. up if they can't um, I think you'll see Rubio and Cruz benefit from that and begin yeah. to go up into higher double digits mm -hmm. in the long run. I'm predicting, and this, I, I, I probably shouldn't do this publicly, but I've done it on television. <laughs> I, I suspect Marco Rubio is going to meet Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton wins. That's my prediction. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I don't know anybody else in the Bay Area who, who, who's willing from Stanford or Harvard or, or I'm sorry, but Stanford or Berkeley willing to put their rep on the line like that, but that's my prediction. I, I think I the big say. the big question I think is when does Jeb Bush drop out? Yeah. Um, wow. I, really? I, I don't I don't I don't see a path for him to be able to kind of resurrect, kind of do the 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 comeback kid or the the McCain you know, straight talk express sort of comeback. Um, and so the big question is when does he drop out? Because that will change the dynamic. I think particularly for Rubio, the best for the, the benefit benefit Rubio the best. And that could give him the needed bump to be able to win a state before Florida comes around. Because if Rubio's not winning a state before Florida, Rubio's in a big problem, I think. I, I still think at this point, Rubio's the strongest contender, um, to, has the best path yeah. to the nomination. Yeah, but you, have to, you, you can't come out of Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina without a win and then That's expect right. to get the nomination. That's right, because, oh, oh, yeah, because Republicans, Republicans haven't had a candidate who hasn't no. won in one of those states since 1976. Right. So you're right. Those are critical states. I, I think you have to watch Kasich. Uh, his, his, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's communications director, Matt David, is now the head of Kasich's uh, Super PAC and told me last week, uh, you know, when, this, when these ads came out, the gloves are off. They're going to go out. They're going to yeah. go like hardcore on Donald Trump. Uh, and and uh, I, I think this is their, their moment. And they're going to do it, try to do it in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, it, with Rubio, I think you, you're both right. He's an incredibly strong candidate. I, maybe this is a baby when we're talking about. But it's like, I look at those ads, and he looks 14 years right. old. I'm sorry. Right. I don't know. Right. Is, this, is it me? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> He'll be the first millennial president. And, and, and you know, when the, the New Hampshire paper recently endorsed Christie, yes. yeah, they went after him. Rubio and said, we don't need another uh, ambitious freshman senator who mm-hmm. hasn't done a whole lot. We, right. we know where that's been. So I, I don't know if it, there may be some, yeah. you know, issues. Christie, I'd, I'd keep your eye on Christie yeah. just to see what happens after this union leader. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that the union leader is going to give it to him. I but think the union leader endorsement is at this point not that important as it used to be because of the Internet's influence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, I think um, it, it has a lot to do with the fact that the, the union leader uh, its impact on John McCain, for example, was 21 points. Mm-hmm. But the person who had, the, the second lowest person that they've endorsed in all time had four percentage points at this point and received a seven point percentage point bump to 11%. So 
uh, Christie is not at 5%. So let's assume he gets on the low end, 7%. He goes up to 12%. On the high end, 21%, mm-hmm. that would be significant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if he gets the, you know, the, the 7%, then that, that's a problem for him in the long run. Let me stick with you, James. The Financial Times newspaper uh, this past weekend had an article about Republican Muslims who are very attracted to the party's economic policies, family values rhetoric, but are naturally appalled at the anti-Muslim rhetoric. So, James, you were talking at, at kind of at the beginning about all these folks who have been upset and insulted. Is there fundamental long-term damage being done? For example, the longer that this in-your-face kind of talk, the offensive stuff continues, or, again, is it okay to have it yeah. happen now in the sense of the party's health yeah. in that it's such a small percentage? Yeah, that's I, a good question. And I think in the long run, the damage is, is uh, I, can't, I won't say irreparable, but I mm-hmm. think the damage is serious across the board. It's not just alienating Muslims. It's, nail- it's alienating all populations that can identify in some way with the ways in which these populations are being targeted and focused on. I mm-hmm. think with the Black Lives Matter movement, with the recent Occupy I, I, movement. Ex- explain what just happened with the Black Lives Matter Well, uh, I mean, protester. if we're talking about the shooting in Chicago, yeah. um, it's sort of just go- going to a whole nother level of intensity. This is after the, the movement has sort of shifted to the college campuses. I mean, this is a, a fluid and, and, and ongoing uh, development in, in our politics. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, going back to your question, in terms of, of you know, Republican Muslims, that's, a, that's, a, that's almost an oxymoron for me on something. <laughs> you know, like, like how log many cabin Republicans. How, how many are I'm, there? I'm still trying to get my head around log cabin Republicans. <laughs> and that's been 25 years. So the idea of Republican Muslims, obviously like Latino uh, Catholics, you can find some religious yeah. identification around moral questions and how that translates into a politics, especially in some place like Michigan. Uh, yeah. It's really, really interesting to see what happens. Um, I think the more Donald Trump continues to speak and target and focus m- on Muslims, and there's not an adult that sort of says Trump is out of line, right. uh, it will continue to push people further and further over into the column of the, of the Democrats, or at least not in the Republican yeah, column. Univision did a, a poll right after, I believe right after Trump got into the election when he made all of his very inappropriate comments about Mexicans. Um, and they asked him, you know, what do you think about these, these comments that Trump made? And the vast majority, something like 80% said, you know, they're offensive, they're terrible. Uh, and then they asked, do, do you think these are Trump's views or the views of the Republican Party? And just 14% said it's the views of the Republican Party. Still problematic, that's 14%. Uh, but it shows that at least at that point in the summer, that uh, at least the Latino community was not connecting Trump's rhetoric to the party as a whole. Now, who knows how that's changed? I haven't seen a, a similar poll done um, since then. But I'm going to say at this point, I don't think that's. I don't think it's the, necessarily the case, at least with, amongst the Latino population. I'm not sure about the yeah. Muslim population at this point. Um, that they're not making that connection yet. I wonder though, once votes start coming in. And once people start seeing Republicans actually vote for Donald Trump after saying all these comments, then does that actually impact people's perceptions of the party? In the general election or? In, in, no, in the primary. Okay. In the prim- we actually see Republican primary voters, caucus goers, voting for Donald Trump after saying very offensive, very inappropriate things. Uh, do people then make that connection? Well, if Republicans are voting for him, then they must believe in what he's saying, yeah. uh, does that harm the party? And I think there's a very plausible and I, and I think case I that. think this happens, uh, a lot of things happen on a cultural level also. Uh, with, with the Donald Trump issue, particularly among young Latinos, because yeah. when you look at major ethnic groups, Latinos have had the historically the lowest turnout. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing now, much as with the Black Lives Matter movement, where young people yes. were the ones that drove uh, in, the, in Latinos, you saw the Latin Grammys, major artists getting up with signs saying, mm-hmm. you know, we're not mm-hmm. going to support this kind of racism. That kind of thing has a huge impact and an energizing effect on those voters. Yeah. And as yeah. a lot of people suggest, could wake the yeah. sleeping giant no, and, 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 of the Latino vote. But the, but the other part of this equation is the black vote. Um, it may not be important to, to Trump or to the Republicans mm-hmm. in terms of their support for their party, but on the Democratic column, if you get enthusiastic black turnout, it could have a, de- a real impact on this turnout. If you look at 08 and 12, most people still don't, haven't processed that the black vote in 08 and in 12, in unprecedented history, unprecedented in American history, the black vote outperformed every other group in America twice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Twice. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody knows it. <laughs> and it was mostly, I think, at the local level in Pennsylvania, Virginia, uh, and North Carolina, those voter ID suppression laws that mm. provoked black voters to see that their grandmothers and mothers who couldn't vote in the 40s and 50s and 60s were now, before they leave this earth, being forbidden to vote again. Mm -hmm. I think the same kind of thing is going to happen to Republicans with women and these issues around Planned Parenthood. And the same kind of subterranean issue that doesn't seem to be as, as critical is going to mobilize these people at the, at the end to have a devastating effect on the yeah. Republican Party. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's happened before, 1994, yeah. Prop 187. Yeah mobilize what are now called Prop 187 babies. They, they, they now run California's government. Kevin DeLeon was one. Uh, Senator uh, Ricardo Lara was one. Uh, uh, Alex Padilla, our now Secretary of State, was one. These are people who were young college students when Prop 87 was on the ballot. They saw the Republican Party and Pete Wilson going you know, gung-ho for it. And they realized, wow, I have to do something. The only way I can do something is to get politically involved. And mm -hmm. they did. And now they really run the show in Sacramento. So I, I totally think that you're, you're and, right. And That's I think a, could be especially a flashpoint. your point on, on women and the Planned Parenthood issue, and I, I know we're going to talk about this, but that's another faction of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before here, which is you know, one out of four American women have used the services of Planned Parenthood at one point or another, and whether or not uh, some of these legislators understand that, that it's their own wives and daughters who are going to Planned Parenthood. Um, that, uh, that, right. that in many cases, uh, I, I, I've spoken to many groups, you know, you could do it here and say how many of you women have t either taken your daughters or, you know, and, and you're gonna, gonna get a lot of hands. Um, and, and I think that is an issue that really resonates with a lot of women voters on both sides of the aisle. And you bring up Planned Parenthood, and um, this also can lead us into the, our discussion of the Democrats. Let's talk about what happened in Colorado Springs recently. There, there was the, over the holiday weekend, there was the shooting um, at a Planned Parenthood building there in Colorado Springs, killed uh, three people, including a police officer. Um, you know, some of the Democrats, excuse me, some of the Republicans, Carly Fiorina, for example, have been very taken aback or expressed, you know, outrage that you would t try to tie this to these imaginary videos that I talked about. Um, Mike Huckabee, surprising to me because he has had said some very outlandish things in the past, actually has gone pretty far in saying there's no way you can condone what happened, this, you know, mm -hmm. it's dissociating himself and the pro-life movement from it. Um, how big of a, and forgive me for making this a, a talking about thin political terms, but this is a political show, so how big of a political issue, problem, uh, decision point is this, I guess, for some of the major candidates on both parties? Well, I think it, 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 it's, it's one more case that points out so many um, um, dichotomies in our, in, our, in our culture, right? We were talking about this before. How, how interesting is it that uh, in, in, in Colorado, uh, the guy who shoots uh, you know, a cop and three uh, people, I mean, it's a, a murderer, you know, a, a sort of domestic terrorist, and comes out you know, walking away peacefully arrested, mm -hmm. and in, and in, in yeah. uh, Chicago, yeah. the 17-year-old yeah. is gunned down with 17 shots right. as he's already on the, you know, for holding a knife 10 feet away and, from- And the entire political establishment sat on it for 400 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, so that kind of, that issue plays out. But then you've got, just today, uh, Senator Boxer came out and said, uh, you know, these hearings in Washington, which, uh, which they're gonna have in Congress with regard to Planned Parenthood and defunding Planned Parenthood, uh, she's, she's saying that we should just end those hearings, that this has been a war on Planned Parenthood and it's got to stop. Uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, came out today and said, no, we're going to continue with these hearings. Uh, he doesn't expect that it's going to result in the shutdown of the government. So you've still got the, this partisan divide over this. I don't think that, that the rhetoric up there is going to stop w mm -hmm. with, with regard to this, and it's just one more thing that... Do you, do you, you think know. it's a landmine for Carly Fiorina? Anyone? I, I think... Most people associated with her performance in the recent Republican debate, yep. and she came out today in talking to Chris Matthews, I believe it was, and tried to distance herself. And much like I think Sarah Palin did when Gabby Giffords was shot in Arizona, if you remember, there were some comments that Palin had made right before she was shot that were almost predictive, like almost sort of sickum. And then when this happened, Sarah Palin pulled back and said, wait a minute, don't associate this with me. This is left-wing liberal media propaganda, and this is exactly what uh, Carly Fiorina did today, uh, attributed to left-wing hits, and as did uh, Ted Cruz said, this is, uh, he was a left-wing, uh, liberal, transgender, yeah. 
I, I didn't even read the article. I was just like, this obviously is clickbait. He's just joking around. Yeah. It's an onion article. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out. I, I think Republicans risk alienating a lot of their own people also in the response. I, I think I read Sus the Susan B. Anthony's um, organization's kind of email about it today, and they they were extraordinarily, con very, very effusively condemning what happened because me, you, you can't be pro-life and mm -hmm. then obviously support mm -hmm. something like this happening, regardless of where, whether politically you believe or ideologically you believe with what Planned Parenthood is doing. You just cannot, it, you, you reach a kind of a, a part in your brain where it just cannot function anymore, where you can support one thing but not the other. Uh, so I think you, risk and i think huckabee kind of coming out against it kind of signifies that you that yeah. you would risk kind of alienating a, a substantive portion of pro-life individuals who yes are anti-abortion but they're not radicals like this guy might be we're still not sure really what prompted the the attack um obviously there were many issues going on with him but um it, it's it's it is a landmine and it only adds a new charge to the yeah. whole debate. And, and, and doesn't it add even more fuel to the whole gun control issue? I mean, that, once again, mm -hmm. we're, we see this outpouring of grief and, you know, and then nothing ever gets President done. President Obama said this cannot be normal or this cannot become normal. I'm sorry, it is it's normal. normal. I mean, this is yeah. what we, yeah. we're the country that has what is it, more than one mass shooting every single day. Um, yeah. You know, and, it's and, horrifying and, that it's normal, but apparently, Americans are... It's a lot like a black-on-black -black crime. Yeah. And most people aren't willing to stop and pause and think about the fact that the country engages in the very same behavior it attributes to the black community. When we often see incidents of violence in Chicago, 50 a weekend, 500 a year, the, and then a single officer victimizes someone like this young man, everybody says, wait a minute, you guys are killing each other. Why don't you fix that? And we fail to recognize that America, on a, on a national level, does the very same thing that it accuses the black population of America doing every time violence happens domestically in this country. Mm -hmm. America is hushed just like the black community on this internal violence. We are more afraid of ISIS than we are violence in the hood of America. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. If it's outside of the hood, it's a threat. If it's in the hood, it's some drive-by we can deal with it, excuse my language. <laughs> we can deal with it because it's our internal problem, yeah. our American problem, our hood problem. Do you see yourself yet? But we're quick to say black on black crime is their problem. It's, a, it's an American problem first and foremost, not a black problem. But, but aside from that, most Americans engage in the very behavior that they demand black people, or in, the, in some cases, Muslims, when there's a terrorist attack, engage in, which is to straighten out the problems in your community. And we fail to recognize on a grand national level that America every day, 330,000 Americans have been killed by other Americans, according to Mother Jones, since 2004. 330,000 Americans have murdered other Americans. And let me correct this data. The majority of these were suicides by gun, but a large number of them were actually homicides. 770,000 Americans have shot one another, including suicides since 2004. 300,000 Americans have been murdered since 2004 by other Americans. And you're gonna to talk to me about black on black crime? Mm -hmm. When the country every day does the same thing it accuses the black community of, not fixing your problem of violence in your country and in your community. We have it at the national level, what people say we have down in parts of this city. And we are not willing to see ourselves in a way that can begin to bring about reform and redress in terms of the serious problem of violence we have. Yeah. You didn't come for that, but I thought I'd just. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Carson, uh, as, as our Republican on the panel, 
Um, <laughs> let, let, me, Lucky me. let me switch to, <laughs> to someone in the audience asks, uh, assuming you think Hillary is the Democratic nominee, what role will Sanders' candidacy have? But I would, I'm going to expand on the question itself. On her and the party, yeah. will he or, I mean, she's kind of on cruise control right now. I mean, she's, she's racking, Hillary Clinton uh, is, you know, high in the polls. Mm -hmm. She seems to be solidifying both. You know endorsements and 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 uh, in my opinion, nothing has really changed when it comes to the Hillary the Hillary Clinton candidacy. She was always dominant. Um, she was always going to be dominant. Yeah, Sanders kind of surged there for a good part of the summer, um, but that that makes sense. I mean, no party likes a coordination ever when it comes to uh, a primary system. Um, so naturally, there's going to be kind of a reaction to what is perceived as a political coordination. Um, Sanders has an uncanny and a very, it, it, much like Trump, and I don't want to equate Sanders and Trump together, <laughs> but um, you know, Trump is focusing in on this populist nativist sort of contingent of the Republican Party. Sanders, in a way, is kind of focusing on this socialistic Isolation, isolationist sort of contingent of the Democratic Party. Um, and he's doing a very good job at communicating that to a whole group of new people. Sanders never got into this race thinking he was going to win the nomination, let alone win the White House. I mean, that's not Sanders. He was in it to try to make a point on the issues that he cares very much about. Those issues are economic, issue, economic issues. Uh, so... Now, he's not going to get into the whole ISIS and Syrian refugee thing. He's not going to get into foreign policy. Uh, he's going to talk about what he's passionate about, why he's a U.S. senator, why he's been in government for as long as he has. Um, and that's be what he views as kind of this democratic socialism uh, that he had a very rather boring speech about uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago. Uh, I think his victory will be if he can win a few states, uh, particularly the, the ones where you have a, a heavy white progressive um, voting bloc amongst the Democratic Party, Iowa, New Hampshire, Vermont, Wisconsin, um, being a few. Uh, if he can do that, then he essentially forces Hillary Clinton to take a position where she might not want to take because the Clintons are very, they're hedgers. They don't really want to be tied down to any one <laughs> position because they are political animals. And, that's, and I'm not saying that in any sort of judgmental way. That, that they, they truly are. They understand how DC works. And DC works by compromise, by being social, by being um, traders and wheelers and dealers. Um, and that's how any capital works, let alone, I mean, not just DC. So Sanders' victory will be forcing her to take positions on a lot of these economic issues that forces her to lock in those positions going into the general election and if she wins into the White House. And I think that alone will be, will be Sanders will be very pleased by that. Um, it could be problematic for her in the general election. I think it all depends on who the Republican nominee is that she's going up against. If it's someone like a Rubio who can talk about kind of the flip side of these issues very eloquently, very concisely, very intelligently, then she runs into a problem. Um, if it's someone like a Ted Cruz or a, a Mar um, Donald Trump, she might not run into that big of a problem um, by positioning herself on the progressive wing on some of these issues. Um, yeah. I'd actually throw Jeb Bush in that, in that group too because Jeb Bush has, he, he gets, he's a really very smart man, but he's not very good at communicating <laughs> what he's thinking in his head. Um, so Hillary Clinton will be the nominee, barring some barring her getting arrested by the FBI yeah. and found guilty before the <laughs> before you know then you March. might end, you might end up yeah. with, well, you might end up with Biden against Ronald. right yeah. <laughs> That'd be you, fun. Know, so. you know, it, it is interesting that Hillary's giving a big uh, fundraiser tonight on the East Coast, and uh, 14 uh, Democratic, all well, the, yeah. the Democratic women, women oh. senators are there, Except. with the exception of one, and that's Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> who has not endorsed her yet. She, Hillary Clinton is very lucky. Elizabeth Warren, and I also throw um, Cheryl Brown, who uh, the um, senator from Ohio, senior senator from Ohio. Um, either of them didn't get into that race because both of them could do what Sanders is currently doing, mm -hmm. but take it the next distance. Mm -hmm. because they can really... talk about stuff beyond just... Exactly. Yeah. And they're yeah. not as kind of 
that 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 uncle you have, you know, <laughs> sort of <laughs> feeling about him. You know, they they yeah. feel like they could be president. Yeah. Um, where Sanders, he God bless him. He 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 really believes in what he believes, but. For the mass population, you can't really see him being yeah. the person yeah. in the And I think when you talk about Hillary Clinton being on cruise control, uh, one of the other interesting things about the fundraiser tonight is it's the first one she's done that's open to the press. Wow. And, it, you know, maybe some of you have heard me before on this. It, you know, it just, it just really uh, just bugs me that th this has been a campaign that's been so close. Uh, we, we've got stayed so far away from her. We haven't gotten anywhere near her. And I just think they, they maybe are starting to understand uh, that that she's got to have a more accessibility and be seen in in sort of a in some of these regular settings. I think that's going to change too, and I think that's another pressure from Sanders. I think that's important too, and I feel like people who've seen me up here before, you'll you'll think I'm a broken record because I always bring this up when it comes to Hillary Clinton time on the panel. Um, <laughs> I am surprised she hasn't, and her campaign hasn't been spending more time very aggressively trying to deal with her weakness. And her weakness is trustworthiness, honesty. Uh, you see it poll after poll after poll. The general public does not think she is trustworthy by any measure. Um, the, the drip, drip, drip of the email uh, server scandal is contributing to that. But it's also, again, going back to the Clintons being political animals, it kind of makes them seem a little bit shady around the edges. Um, <laughs> And it's something that I think hurt her in 2008. It's something that Bill can get away from because he's such an effusive personality. Um, but it's something that really has hampered her politically. Yeah. In really every race, it's just kind of been masked because her Senate races were in New York and it's almost impossible for a Republican to win there federally. Um, so I'm surprised they haven't been spending more time aggressively, and maybe this is kind it, of the pivot. Be part of it. They feel comfortable enough that Sanders isn't going to really challenge them um, when it comes to the vote getting, and that they're going to start focusing now on making Hillary Clinton likable enough. And I think, with, you know, with, <laughs> particularly with millennial voters, this is a problem. Yeah. If you talk to them, I've got two sons in their 20s, and yeah, uh, this is this is not a crowd that you know uh, likes Hillary Clinton, mm. even the Democrats. Yeah. And it, remember, that was the coalition that helped Obama win: millennials, yeah. women, yeah. people of color. Yeah. Uh, and the worst and, thing you can do as a politician is to reinforce whatever the weakness, the perceived weakness about you is. The character flies. You know, Mitt Romney kept on reinforcing that about himself. And, and see, and, that's why I think if, if, if Bernie Sanders was, was serious about winning the nomination, he would just go negative. Yeah. Because yeah. they work. Negative ads yes. work. And Hillary's, I, they, I think they say the ceiling is, is low and her floor is very high in terms of <laughs> negatives. Yeah. So, you know, there's plenty of t opportunity to attack her, but I don't think... He hasn't. She's been vetted, obviously. We, you know, there's probably sure. not been a more publicly vetted person in American political history. Maybe FDR, I'm not sure. But clearly, uh, you know, Hillary, we know who she is. So we're not going to, unless there's some, you know, we don't know, we, 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 we can't imagine any more surprises coming from her, I imagine. So I think people are comfortable. And I added, suggested earlier that in, this, in these primaries, the American public, through the voting process, even though these are Democrats and Republicans, would make a choice be, amongst the, the Bushes and the Clinton, amongst Bush and Clinton, choose and, bet one, and, and flesh one of them out during the primaries because the country was exhausted going back to a Bush-Clinton mm -hmm. rerun in 2015, 2016. And, I, and, I, and it appears that Bush is going to suffer and Hillary's going to be given an opportunity. And I'm not suggesting, well, I guess I did suggest earlier she'd win, <laughs> but my point is she'll be in play to win. I think Bush will not. But the country, very carefully, we, we don't recognize this, has fleshed out between the Bush and Clintons. Yeah. They've pretty much made a choice, and now they'll choose from Clinton and whoever yeah. the Republicans can generate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think we should move on to our next topic. And I should start this by noting that this Wednesday we're going to be hosting a town hall right here in this room on... Uh, what should be the most effective strategy for dealing with ISIS. Now, um, after the Paris attacks, uh, there's been, of course, a lot of discussion and, and hullabaloo, if I can use an old term, uh, over Syrian refugees. Um, I think the United States was committed to taking in 10,000 10, 10, 10, yeah. compared to, you know, what is it, 1.5 million Germany is expecting to take in. But, you know, I don't know why we... Don't have enough room here. Nonetheless, um, obviously this became an issue where we then had, what was it, more than half of the U.S. governors say they would not let, you know, they would not have settle refugees in their area. And, of course, the, the Obama White House 
reminded them that they don't really have a say in that. <laughs> Nonetheless, this, this has become yeah. a thing. And of course, it, it, it also touches in the whole you know, relations with Muslim voters. I mean, when you're talking about yeah. who's going to vote for Hillary Clinton, yeah. I think quite a few of those Republican Muslims might be voting for her. Mm. But uh, let's talk a bit about the politics of Syrian refugees. Well, it is. I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, here's California, the most diverse state in the nation. And uh, what did we take into uh, 200? I think we have here 200 Syrian refugees in total. Um, uh, you know, I think there's 16 in the Bay Area. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous, and the the kind of vetting that uh, they go through is is years. And even here, Jerry Brown was kind of cautious, saying, you know, we're going to make sure. I mean, uh, it is. I think that this may change as we get some some uh, distance away from what happened in Paris and the horrors there. But uh, you know, you can't see these these nightly newscasts of people coming in uh, across the Aegean mm -hmm. and children drowning and not feel that um, that, that Americans are not going to open their right. arms to these people. And uh, it's a, In my opinion, it's amazingly anti-American to be anti-refugee uh, because you know, we are the you know, the beacon of hope, that city on the hill. You know, we're, we're the place where, we're, hell, we were founded because of refugees trying to escape you know, religious persecution. The pilgrims right. came here for, you know, safety. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's amazing that really in the entire history of, or at least modern history of the United States, it, public opinion has been anti-refugee. You know, the, the, during World War II, um, it was you know, anti-Jewish ref, uh, refugees. Yeah, during the Holocaust, um, I think yes. it was 60% yeah. of the Polish. You know, after the Iron, or the after um, you know, the, the Eastern Europe fell, Hungarians were trying to get here in droves. Americans were anti-Hungarian uh, refugees, even though we were still anti-Soviet Union also. Um, you know, the but Cubans. Would, would, would you link that to stresses going on in the society at, at those I think so. respective yeah. times? Like, given that this is post-08 economic crisis, you know, it, yeah. when Reagan sort of, you know, sought to, to, to bring in more immigrants, there were tough times too, don't get me wrong. But I'm just wondering if you think economic factors. I, I, I think so. I mean, if you look at then the Cuban refugees, the 60s and 70s, uh, Viet Vietnamese refugees coming right out of Which, Vietnam. Which Jerry Brown spoke out against at the time yeah. when he was governor. Mm. So, so I, did no, not want you, to take in. You are talking about yeah. very traumatic periods in history that are, that are causing the refugees to be escaping where they're escaping Anyway, not but, unrelated to U.S. policy. In the correct, region. correct. But it, it, it's it, it's troubling, you know. It, it's something that's consistent over time periods and over generations, and, and but it's still so anti-American in, in my view um, that I'm amazed that so many across and quite bipartisan actually um, are supporting a lot of these restrictions. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting to see Hillary begin to make a pivot. Uh, and criticize the policy uh, in on ISIS, and yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, she's been one of the you know sort of felt like Obama has not been hawkish enough. Yeah. He's bombed seven countries, and the, and he's being called weak yeah. for bombing seven countries. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipper. Uh, so I don't know what, I guess they want him to use a nuclear weapon and then he'll be <laughs> Harry Truman part two, I'm not sure. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> uh, let's talk, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the efforts to legalize marijuana in California. Now this is a topic that's been around for a while, but... I've been reading lately about there are a lot of different efforts that are going forward. Um, they are there is I guess considerable dissension between them or amongst them. Um, there are 17 proposed ballot measures that have already been submitted and accepted. Uh, 
Um, now, considering the topic, I figure maybe half of those forgot they had already filed it. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lot of. Um, I mean, Carla, can you tell us what well, the you status know, now, is? Now, yeah. So with 17 now, but you know, you do have some powerhouse groups now coming forward and and political figures. Gavin Newsom being one of them. And remember, he was the he was the guy who said. When, on same-sex marriage, whether you like it or That's not, right. it's going to happen. Backfired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it did backfire. Exactly. But he was right. It did yeah. happen. Uh, it did happen. <laughs> yeah. And on and on marijuana, he's already. Uh, it's interesting to watch <laughs> as somebody who's a, a, a gubernatorial candidate. He's already done a blue ribbon commission on this. He's studied it backwards and forwards, and now he's come out and has the backing of Sean Parker, who's a billionaire. Uh, you know, former Facebook, yeah, former Facebook uh, co-founder. So, I mean, this is this is a very big effort, and I think you'll you'll look for that. It, it, when when we're looking at other states, Colorado, you know, I, I, making the kind of money right now. I've been told the the entire school system in Colorado is now funded mm -hmm. with the help of uh, taxes yeah. generated from marijuana, <laughs> the, the, it, entirely. So, I mean, I mean. Like this, when you're looking at that kind of money, California, it's it it, it is whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's what's really interesting. I, I'm I, one of the books that I published recently was a book called "Something's in the Air: Race, Crime, and Marijuana Legalization" with two University of California uh, professors. Um, what, what's really interesting is people make certain assumptions about Prop Eight. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, I mean, uh, Prop Nineteen. Yeah. It's really interesting that. Um, African Americans were very conservative on marijuana legalization. If you look at the data in California, they were not in support of it as a majority. People assume it, obviously, they assume it. But if you look at the data, blacks were very conservative, along with Asians, blacks and Asian Californians in general. I don't mean to you know, put everybody in one bed, one bed, but Asians in general in California and blacks were the most conservative on legalizing marijuana in the state of California. And at the last minute, it was that Gavin Newsom commercial, whether you like it or not, we're here to stay. I mean, he couldn't have done worse if he had Willie Horton's face on it. But when he said that, he pretty much alienated a lot of young people at the last, in the 11th hour, around Prop 8, marriage equality, many young people bolted the, uh, the, the campaign uh, uh, in support of it uh, at the very end. And most people didn't detect that. So to, you know, to, to assume that young people and African Americans are going to get behind the next effort, I think those who sponsor these programs, have to, uh, these initiatives have to do the groundwork, yeah. the footwork, and really look people in the eyes, meet them in their, in their spaces, and talk to them about their organizations and their commitments oh, before assuming. Also, because, and I'm going to kind of shift towards the policy aspect of these, of these initiatives. California's proposition or ballot proposition mechanics mm -hmm. makes doing policy by ballot very um, tenuous, very, very scary from when it comes to kind of policy perspective because it's very inflexible. You can only amend a ballot proposition by another ballot proposition unless the ballot proponents are smart enough to write into it to allow the legislature to amend it, which is very, very rare because that's the whole reason why they're going to the ballot, is to not get legislature involved. Um, and for something like marijuana legalization, it creates a, an issue where you have to have a near-perfect bill, because uh, there's a lot of tripping points, and I'll just n l say a few. If you start layering taxes and fees, all of a sudden, does that turn the, the legal product more expensive than the black mar market product, and does it actually solve the illegal aspect of marijuana. Um, if you start exempting medical users, as the Gavin Newsom bill does, from all the, all the fees and taxes, uh, then does that kind of create a problem where everyone rushes to Venice Beach and gets yes. their medical marijuana Definitely card? Definitely Venice Beach. Right? Yeah. It's, it's easy. <laughs> I, I went to school at Pepperdine. I, Me went, too. I spent a lot of time at, <laughs> at uh, Venice Beach, and you walk up and down that promenade, and there are people just trying, they're begging you to come in and get your medical marijuana card. <laughs> Unless you have medical marijuana reform to try to prevent that, which I think is very difficult to do, by exempting them from all these fees, then is that actually going to create the, the revenue that they're projecting it will? No, it's not. And you're going to have mass, massive budget holes because of it. Yeah. Um, you, you have to look at if you start creating kind of empl um, employer kind of anti-discrimination laws around um, uh, yeah. marijuana use, yeah. does that cause you know job job market kind of disemployment uh, effects? Because then people are afraid to hire certain demographics because they might be more likely to be users, and they can't fire them if they're actually using. Um, 
does it create, you know, how about DUIs? You know, do we have the technology to detect oh, uh, this yeah. stuff? Uh, whether, you know, how, what, what are the police powers when it comes to detecting this sort of uh, stuff? Where, where, what can juries and judges convict? Um, it becomes problematic if these questions aren't thoroughly thought out. And thus far, a lot of the legalization propositions haven't considered any of these issues. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, in my opinion, that's been the major downfall of yeah. most of the propositions it's because they're, they're terribly written. What Colorado and Washington did right was they essentially left most of it up to the legislature to write the rules and regulations um, and parameters of these, of these issues, which allows you to be imperfect because you can easily go back and fix the imperfections, uh, easier to fix the imperfections. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether this, the Newsom approach goes, because I believe it's being backed also by the same people that Colorado, that, that yeah, uh, did Colorado is. and Washington's uh, initiatives. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation, because if you vote yes on it and it wins, then you're stuck with what you've got until someone else comes around with enough money to try to qualify and pass another one. Let's uh, try to briefly get in a few things. Can someone explain to me the story? I, I think most of you have maybe seen this. What was the deal with Governor Jerry Brown having state workers uh, evaluate <laughs> his private land for resources or something like that? This, this was such a fascinating story. It's so interesting because, you know, Governor Brown is going to uh, Paris this week for the big UN climate change conference. And uh, so we find out uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, he had state workers uh, look into his own. He has a ranch, a family ranch in Calusa County, uh, about 2,300 acres, and kind of asked, hey, what's the uh, drilling and mineral rights uh, uh, possibilities on this land? You know, wait a minute, Mr. Climate Change and no fossil fuel, <laughs> want to know if there's oil. And he had the state uh, delivered to him within two days a 51-page, uh, you know, in-depth report and, of course, the Department of Conservation said, well, anybody can get this. So, it, yeah. right, of course, any of you can write now to the Department of Conservation, I know this for a fact, and ask them to do a rundown on your land to see whether you have <laughs> oil, mineral rights. And they will, they do now, actually <laughs> run it down for you. You may not get the 51-page report, but the fact is, this looked bad for the governor for every reason. And he has not yet explained why he wanted it. You know, he is a history buff. You know, and he may have just said to the guy, hey, I'm kind of curious, right. and uh, they went crazy on him. But the fact is, um, it didn't, doesn't look good as he's going to the big climate change conference this week. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned also he, he is going to this Paris conference. This is taking place right now in Paris. I believe it's 147 uh, leaders are there from around the world. Um, yeah, what does he hope to do? And, and he's not the only Californian. No, what's fascinating why, why, is... Why are they there? Why is Jerry Brown there? Why is Kevin DeLeon there? Why is Fran Pavley there? It's a there? huge like... California delegation. And in fact, uh, I thought it was so fascinating because they did a, a, a tweet that, uh, t tonight from the White, the White House press corps. Uh, they're at the Place de Vosges in uh, Paris at the, at the most famous restaurant in Paris, Michelin Three Star, where the average diner spends 400 euros per person to eat, and they were all eating there, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, no. you know, this is very important climate change <laughs> stuff we're looking at this here. Um, but but the fact is that, yes, it's a, it's a very important conference, and, and you know, Governor Brown has been kind of an international leader on yeah. this. Yeah. He's really spoken up on this. To, some people say, hey, he's got a lot of stuff at home. Why doesn't he deal with, uh, you know, El Nino first? That's really kind of an apocalyptic thing that's coming down the pike here. But uh, what was interesting today and has a real sort of California angle on it is uh, Bill Gates announcing mm -hmm. uh, this billion-dollar uh, project that he's got. And the, the lion's share of the people involved are all from Silicon Valley. We're talking about Mark Zuckerberg, um, Mark Benioff from Salesforce. Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes. And, and this is Tom Steyer. Use this money to do what? Yeah. So, what, and, and the University of California, uh, Gates wants to use. It says, look, government can only do research, uh, the kind of research we need. If if government does the research, I'll find the investors. I'll find the money to develop the pro the the products that we need to help you know produce green economy. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about some of the the biggest billionaires in Silicon Valley, John Doerr, uh, Vinod Khosla, two major venture capitalists. These kind this kind of money uh, and these kind of people who have the uh, the the 
the cash to put into electric cars, other huge advances in right. green technology. And uh, the fact that Silicon Valley has such a huge role in this, I think, is, is just fascinating. It, yeah, I, I, I joke when I say, what, what are they doing there? It, it is a bit, little bit of a vanity show for a lot of the, Kevin DeLeon, particularly <laughs> a fan, friend uh, Pavley, they've been you know, really vocal people in state politics on these issues. Uh, Jerry Brown has been a kind of a thorn in the Republican Party's side on this issue. Calling um, them troglodytes, yeah. luddites, you know. <laughs> but <very> again, <laughs> like, wh why are they there? Like, they can't negotiate for the United States. The U.S. negotiators aren't going to be listening to them. They have their own agenda, their own priorities, uh, their own marching orders from the White House. But I'm not. But it's important. The Paris summit is important because take so take California for example. California is six percent of the U.S.'s uh, global, or sorry, the U.S.'s carbon emissions. U uh, the United States is 16% of the globe's uh, emissions. So California, if California were to get rid of every single carbon emission tomorrow, it's going to adjust the, the global carbon emissions by 1%. Mm. California alone is meaningless in this fight against global, global climate change if you know, car carbon emissions is the culprit, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest there is. So Sacramento can pass every single climate change law they want, and they're going to do really nothing to the problem. Mm. So you have to get a global, uh, a global initiative started. You have to make it so everyone is putting some skin in the game, because otherwise you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs and making it more difficult for your economy to run, uh, because that's really what's happening, in this state at least. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.